I'm Silas Farley, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Hear the Dance. We begin this new season with a two-part episode focused on glass pieces. Choreographed by Jerome Robbins and set to music by Philip Glass, this is one of New York City Ballet's signature works. Mr. Robbins, known as Jerry, made glass pieces in 1983 at a time of unprecedented transition for City Ballet. The work had its premiere a mere two weeks after the death of George Balanchine, the company's founder and artistic leader. It was in this context of loss, uncertainty, and expectation that Jerry galvanized the company through this new choreography. Glass pieces would be a celebration of the company, especially in the centrality of the corps de ballet throughout. Glass pieces is emblematic of City Ballet's style and ethos in its mixture of a unified energy with individual expression. The ballet is organized in three sections, set to three pieces of music by Philip Glass. The first movement is set to rubric from the composition Glassworks, and it evokes the bustle of city life. The stage swarms with pedestrians in counterpoint with six otherworldly soloists. The second movement, set to facades from Glassworks, is a striking procession of women in silhouette, inching across the back of the stage in counterpoint with a pas de deux for a man and a woman whose movements are both flowing and statuesque. The third and final movement is a propulsive dance for the corps de ballet, set to the funeral scene music from Akhenaten, Philip Glass's opera about the Egyptian pharaoh. Jerry Robbins was slated to direct this opera's premiere production, but bowed out in order to make himself available at City Ballet in the months leading up to Balanchine's death. It's very interesting to look at the hieroglyphic movements and almost ritualistic dances in glass pieces in light of this fact that Jerry's Akhenaten research was fresh in his mind as he choreographed this ballet. It's also interesting to look at Jerry's balletic use of pedestrian movement throughout the ballet as being in dialogue with members of New York City's downtown dance scene, choreographers like Lucinda Childs, whose work Jerry admired. I recently had the privilege of sitting down with a group of city ballet dancers, past and present, for a rich discussion about glass pieces. I was joined by Helene Alexopoulos, who was one of the original otherworldly soloists in the ballet's first movement. The husband and wife team of Maria Caligari and Bart Cook, who originated the second movement Padida, and Bart served as Jerry's rehearsal assistant for the ballet's creation, and Gretchen Smith a current city ballet dancer who performed in the glass pieces corps de ballet for many years. One of the main themes of our conversation was how glass pieces is situated in Jerry's larger body of work, which is made up of ballets like Fancy Free, The Cage, Dances at a Gathering, Watermill, Opus 19, The Dreamer, Gershwin Concerto, Eight Lines, and Antique Epigraphs. Another notable theme of our chat was the discussion of other Robbins dancers and their work with Jerry. Dancers like Darcy Kistler, Kira Nichols, Sean Lavery, Lourdes Lopez, Christopher Dumboise, Peter Frame, Delia Peters, and Mel Tomlinson. In both this consideration of Jerry's other works and other dancers, it reminded me of how ballet is a network of relationships between artwork and artists. Let's listen in. Helene Alexopoulos, Maria Caligari, Bart Cook, Gretchen Smith, welcome to the Hear the Dance podcast. It is such a delight to have you on the program. I wanted to start by 
asking each of you who were there in the original cast, Helene, Bart, Maria, where were you at in your career when you came to be part of this ballet? So maybe maybe starting with Helene. So this is what, spring season 1983, where were you? I think I was the only core member of the group in this. So I felt very excited, very honored. And I was in the core, but I had done a lot of Jerry's work. Um, I was, I guess, lucky to be a Robbins dancer as well. Um, and so I had been working on everything, starting with um, Tricolor. It was actually really fun because I was an apprentice. And so it was very rare that Jerry used apprentices in new ballets because he didn't know you. He needed time to see you and to watch you and to see if who liked you and who didn't like you and kind of what you had. And so it was a right away experience with Jerry and I learned so much and I, um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I was the core member in the crowd. One for the listeners, Tricolore was the fulfillment of a triptych that began with Stars and Stripes, the American flag, Union Jack, Great Britain's flag, and then Tricolore, the French flag. And Balanchine was supposed to do it, then he got sick. And so it was a, a three-parter with three choreographers, Peter Martins, Jean-Pierre Bonfou, and Jerry. So that's the third flag that we never get to see. Bart and Maria, where were y'all in your careers at, at this point when you came to work on Glass Pieces with Mr. Robbins? I had just been promoted to a principal, just like in February or something like this. Um, and I was a soloist prior to that for two years. Um, I had worked with Jerry on piano pieces and probably, I think we did the Gershwin before Gershwin also. So there, I had a little uh, um, experience working with him. Um, and then of course, we were all very busy with Mr. Balanchine's passing, but I remember too, Helene, uh, working on it in the winter prior to, prior to the, um, the gala that it went for the spring festival and um it was really wonderful to work on something so different um and it was the first time that i had partnered with bart which we didn't partner we didn't partner very much together at all because of our height difference but yeah i was just promoted so was trying to work very hard <laughs> And I, and I pretty much enjoyed it, though, it was, as we know, it's always a challenge to work with Jerry, so. <laughs> I, I think if I remember correctly, I had been working with Jerry for quite some time. Um, I was a principal dancer, can't even remember when that happened. But uh, the ballet master situation <clears throat> with Jerry had begun and was going on for several years. It was a wonderful period. and. It was wonderful to be that close to Jerry in a way, and yet at the same time, very, very difficult. I loved the material for glass pieces. And I had uh, been the ballet master for several of the ballets that Maria danced in before that. And then suddenly he put us together and it worked very well with the pas de deux this way. Yeah, it was, it was quite a, an exciting thing. That was the beginning of our partnership. <laughs> Bart, how did you navigate those duties of being a ballet master and being in the cast? I'm not really sure how I did it. Uh, 
it was a lot of stress and it took it took a lot of changing from this hat to that hat, you know? And I guess I was pretty good at that. I, I was put into a lot of dramatic roles. I love the acting idea as well as the abstract, but the abstract ballets are actually more of an actor than an, a, one with a story because you have to create your own scenario and then portray it, so. You remember this Elaine, he would watch from the front wing, right? On Jerry's side, we used to call it because it wasn't Balanchine's side, it was stage left. And so he would, and also we entered there for the second movement and he would watch in the front wing, all the first movement, then he would run to the back third wing and he would watch the beginning of the girl's entrance and then he would go out and do the pas de deux and then he would run Move back to, to the, wing. and run back over there. And then I'd watch the third movement. Yeah. I had to patrol who didn't look at their counts and who made the mistake in the first movement. And, and uh, 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 no, 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 you got to learn your counts. Silas, I think that's why we made the sheets that are still posted. Yes, it's true. What Bart refers to here are sheets of paper that are posted in the wings during each performance of glass pieces to help remind the dancers of the ballet's complex counts. That's what I was going to say. I often wondered that visually arresting graph paper backdrop that was just like where did it come from how did he you know but then remember Bart when you made the the core in the first movement you made them write their paths out for yeah. you and they did it on graph paper well it was that's close to the real story uh, Helena I do have some of those maps and a lot of people just scribbled the line and threw it at me and Diana White. She did the little feet. The she little made feet. little feet. And it was just beautiful. It was like a pr prophecy of the Harry Potter notes and the Marauders map. You know, there was Diana walking across the stage with a little adorable. So at any rate, the dancers are on their best behavior to try to repeat their patterns and not run into somebody. And it's, it's pretty difficult. But, and, and at the same time, learning those weird counts. So that's mm -hmm. where the, well, the graph paper, I actually, I didn't story. finish that story. <laughs> it was for the paper. second movement core girls. Such a complicated pattern that they have to repeat, right, Gretchen? And um, they were having such trouble with the A, A, B, B, half A, half B, you know, and the, and it repeats, but with the separate, slightly different movements, they couldn't remember which came next. And it took a long time for that pattern to soak in. I went home and drew it out on graph paper and I had to paste the pieces together, eight by 10. So, so it was long. about you know five pieces <laughs> wide and three pieces deep. And I had each section going down. And I came in and I unrolled it out onto the floor and I said, there girls, we're going to take a picture of this and project it up on the back so you can read it. And Jerry and Ronnie Bates went, aha. Cool. Next thing we knew, <laughs> there was a, a graph piece of paper on the backdrop. That's what I had always wondered and never asked was, did Jerry see your notes? Did he see that graph paper? What, what, you know, what was that? Helene, so the, cute. Actually, the first use of graph paper was just a smaller sheet and it was for the first movement as well. Jerry had in his incredible mind drawn out on graph paper, each little square was a count. And uh, I actually have a cop the, the copy hmm. of, and he, 
he saw mine and so he decided he'd sign his so his would be historic and all of that mm -hmm. but that's where i got the idea of the graph paper because the glass pieces music is very mathematical and if you give a count to each thing and make it visible it was helpful so his notes actually have uh, little scribbles for the nina 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 or the da 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 and he made dots and mapped out the whole first movement So it was a joint effort, but I made the backdrop and threw it on the floor there. It ended up. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> wow. I had read something too, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about it, that uh, Jerry had wanted Cy Twombly to design a set for it, but it didn't come through. So that, that was interesting. I think the graph paper creates some beautiful, beautiful magic because the, the core girls' movements are so subtle. And then that when they stop, you know, it's the go and the stop action thing. It's, it's emphasized by them passing the lines. And what's so brilliant, I'm not sure if he had the ideas, he was doing the choreography and I don't quite remember, but as Marie and I were dancing, suddenly he would have us hold still. And I'm like, this is weird. We're not doing anything for a long time. And so in his mind, he had the girls in the back. And then, of course, we would rock when they were moving and they would rock when we were moving. And I, I don't think he planned everything out, but the graph paper accentuates that beauty. Mm -hmm. And here's another little tidbit. Uh, Dance in America, when that series started, uh, Emil Artelino and Meryl Brockway wanted to film glass pieces mm. and they went into the negotiations and uh, it almost happened but Jerry said no because the film could not capture this uh, magic that happens with the distance the light and keep it full frame on the television and he just he just said I, I no it won't film and of course he had all of this experience with film <laughs> both good and bad we know and um, that was his decision, which I thought was unfortunate because Mr. Balanchine knew that the lenses did different things and he would adapt the choreography for Dance in America. And that's where the beautiful finale of Fortis came from. Mm -hmm. yeah, and he just thought mm -hmm. it was the best and we kept it and it worked better on the stage than the other one did. So I always thought, oh, Jerry, you're such a brilliant guy. You can make it work. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And he just refused. I guess it's it's such a delicate uh, feeling that's created in that second movement. It's really quite beautiful. This is amazing to get putting the pieces together of this beautiful masterwork. I wanted to go back to the the first day of the first movement rehearsal. Because I feel like when people think glass pieces, people instantly go, oh, it's Grand Central Station, all those people going back and forth. But like, what was it like to be there bef before there was that image? And did Jerry just start saying, you walk from there? Like, what, what was the first day of the first movement? I'm not even sure. Uh, I know he had it, the idea in his mind, but I believe that the soloist movements were choreographed before the core was called in. Helene, do you know this? Well, 
Okay, here's my serenade story. <laughs> Girl coming in late. Do you remember, Bart, that we had been working on material before, like in the fall, and, and Jerry had done this whole huge section working with me and Peter Frame. Yes. Right? And it never saw the light of day. And in my, I don't know, mind, I somehow felt that that was, we were guinea pigging and, and we can talk about the concept of guinea pigging, but we were guinea pigging, I thought really for Kira and Sean. And at the end of the day, and Bart, you would know better because you, you spoke to Jerry more, you know, about it as the ballet master, that I felt that this was meant to be different than it ultimately was, that it was to be a bigger work somehow other than what it was. And um, that that section then never really transpired into anything. If it were Kira and Sean, it might've been eight lines, which happened roughly at the same time. And it was also Steve Reich, which, which goes along Silas with one of your other questions of, about the influence. And of course, downtown dance was enormous at this point. And Jerry had the type of mind where he could just collect everything and consolidate it. Mr. Balanchine did too. I mean, he was uh, encyclopedic of his time. His works involved all that was going on around him. So I think Glass Pieces is important because it took a lot of these minimalist ideas and consolidated them. Now, again, Eight Lines was not very successful, but Helene, if you thought it was for Kieran and Sean, that was them. Maybe he was pre-pre, but it was to Glass Pieces and, and, and it was in that winter time. So maybe he was really thinking ahead and that's not unlike Jerry, but fast forward, schedule goes up, a huge list of names. And typically mine would have been one of the first names because it was A, you know, it was alphabetical and had nothing to do with anything. And I looked at the schedule and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not called, you know, boo-hoo. But for some odd reason, I went home because I had a bigger break than I normally would have ever had. I was home and Bart, you probably don't remember this, but you called me and you said, Lane, where are you? I'm like, I'm home. We <laughs> rehearsal for glass pieces now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I flew down the street. I threw on, I don't know what, I run into the main hall. And I remember it like it was yesterday and, and we weren't facing the mirror. We were facing the, the doorway that you come up the back elevator. And I go in the room and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, he's going to kill me. Oh my God, I'm going to, I'm not going to be, he's, uh. So he starts and he starts telling people, okay, just, just walk, just walk, come on, walk. And, and he didn't use me and he didn't, you know, he just, you go over there. And he, he told me to go over to stage <laughs> left. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be an understudy. Oh my God. <laughs> just, just as I think my star might be rising. No. And so everybody's walking, walking. And then all of a sudden he says, okay, you come on now like this. And I was like, oh. And I didn't really know. I was like, okay, this is just, a, but then as, as of course, rehearsal went on and it evolved, it turned out to be what it was. And, and it was me and Peter coming on and the core going off and, and then it went and it, and so I was like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, but yeah, that was my, my being late. I do remember some of this. 
and um, <clears throat> I hadn't remembered whether the soloist material was choreographed before the core, but I, I know that the idea developed that the soloists were kind of an angel figures flying above pedestrian. And I, I do remember him saying, you've got to stay out of their way or, you know, that jump that is so difficult to get to the top, open out in the position above the crowd and then land and then be above them again. It's very difficult to, to get to look right and to have these angels, I call them, uh, devas flying over the, the pedestrians. And uh, it was in the music. He did have he did have this block right from the first. So um, his ideas unfolded to us as we were in the room. And of course, I was busy trying to write down counts and then ripping them up as as he changed it. <laughs> or actually, I kept everything because he would always go back to the other version. I was like, oh. <laughs> Could we talk a little bit more about those two elements of Jerry's process? The one, the, the multiple iterations, and then also the idea of guinea pigging. I think our listeners will be very interested in knowing about that. I think I might've been his favorite guinea pig. Some of uh, Jerry's most beautiful ballets, I, I got to inspire and never dance. <laughs> uh, actually were choreographed on me and then given to others. Can tell us which one. I did get to do in G major. Um, but an opus. opus opus 19 right. i got to do a few times but by then i was so like well here how the story goes up comes the gershwin concerto which was after all the ones i just spoke about and i was being the ballet master and uh of course it was chris and darcy and maria and mel, mel. i think gershwin concerto was kind of difficult for him but it's all finished and he comes up to me and he says bart this is for you you're gonna dance with Darcy. And I'm like, uh, no, you can't do that to Chris D'Amboise. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I know how it feels mm -hmm. to have something made on you. You want to dance it because you've invested, it is you. And he said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I had to stand in the room and, and enumerate the roles that he had done on me and given to Peter and Helgi and Misha. And he, his face changed and his demeanor dropped and the black cloud came over his head and he stormed out of the room. And I, I just never did. I said, no, you cannot do this to Chris Dumbois. I was the only one that could probably say those things to him. I think with your experiences like in dances I don't think I don't remember too many versions let's say of antique epigraphs Helene that we were in together or um even well our potato we didn't have too many versions but I know people like Bart that were in the other ballets and maybe you remember it from some some of them where you had so many different and you had to keep them all fresh to finish Maria's thought um Lourdes was the guinea pig for Maria and my pot de deux in glass pieces. Mm -hmm. For part of it, yeah. For part of it. Yeah. Now, I wasn't privy to that rehearsal, but it's, Jerry thought of it as like getting his feet wet, uh, I guess. Practice, yeah. Uh, lots of things to unpack here. I think 
Maria, when you mentioned antique, there weren't a lot of versions, but I think it had to do with Jerry's mindset and each ballet was a unique world and, an, and a Jerry in that moment, just like we're all who we are in the moment we're living, but with Jerry, it was exponentially mm -hmm. more. And when you mentioned antique and not, not a lot of versions, he was in such a great headspace when he came into antique. When I think of all the ballets that I worked on for him, at all my levels of you know apprentice, core, soloist, and 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 principal, antique was right at the top of my list of where he came in, and he was so happy, and he wanted us. You really felt like we were his girls. This was he just it was very handpicked. And it just flowed. And that's why I don't think there were many versions and why each of the four um, solos are so specific to who they were made on. And so the, the perfume and the flavor and the whole thing, it was just mm -hmm. such a great experience. So I think the versions kind of went with the mood and his comfort and his happiness with the ballet itself, you know, like how confident he felt about it. and. I'm not sure he felt confident about glass pieces necessarily, but I think not so bad. I don't remember a million versions myself in the first movement. I think this is a, a good thing to comment on about how glass pieces became so congealed and such a, a company statement. Uh, the fact that the commitment to do this piece after Mr. Balanchine passed and it was so different and the company needed something to pull them together. Glass Pieces fulfilled a wonderful thing. And he rose to the occasion at that point as well with the finale, you know, that third movement. And there, was, there were one or two different tries, but I think he knew that the concentric circles was going to be it. And the day when it finally came together, it was like being in the room with Mr. Balanchine when he created. It, it just flowed out of him, that complicated counterclockwise, clockwise, in and out stuff. Beautiful. He knew the counts back and yeah. forward. And <laughs> thank God for Delia Peters, because she re realized what was going on. I don't know if he made you be an understudy for it, Helene. You probably didn't have to learn the third movement at all. No, nothing. Yeah. But I watched it because my biggest disappointment with the ballet was that we didn't come on again. I was like, okay, so what, so sure. So now what we this can't be it, this can't be all, oh my God. Because you do the first movement, then you watch this amazing and arresting and riveting and truly unique. I mean, we had not seen something like that. And that pas de deux, you guys were so otherworldly and they hadn't danced together before. So it was so interesting on, on multiple levels. You know, it wasn't just the one, it was on every level, you go like, wow. And then the core came on and did this, this tribal dance together and it was an homage to the core. And, yes. and, and, and so there was like, okay, more please. It really time. did serve a beautiful purpose for the company uh, to consolidate it, to give it strength to go on after the head had had to leave us and um, the icing on the cake was how much the public liked it and the critics were head over heels with uh, praise. Anna Kisselgoff of the New York Times had this to say about the ballet's premiere. At its world premiere Thursday night, Mr. Robbins succeeded in taking ballet into a brave new world. Glass Pieces is stunning, 
From the start, Mr. Robbins takes off on several levels at once. Like Mr. Glass, Mr. Robbins is giving us a strongly formal work, ruled predominantly by visible structures and rhythms, an outline based on repetitive phrases that deceptively suggest a deliberately minimal vocabulary. Yet, like Mr. Glass, Mr. Robbins is careful to give us a human echo. Glass Pieces, for all its apparent strangeness, is thus again one of those landmark Robbins ballets in which the choreographer so shrewdly and penetratingly translates the temper of our times. It is a picture of our systematized times, the electronic age, the computer age, and it is always, through its very formal structure, a metaphor for the human striving to survive this systematization itself self-willed by humans. Glass pieces, fabulously danced by the core and just as fabulously played by the City Ballet Orchestra under Robert Irving, is a winner. And we did it, and did it, and did it, and did it, and did it. Yeah, and uh, even, even better was there was always someone out and there were no understudies. So we would have to leave a hole in, in, you know, we'd get someone to do the dances, but when the, the 10 the lines of 10, you know, the girls and the boys start going back and forth, if the, it, you couldn't do it and throw someone into there, there would be blood because everybody has a different thing to do. Every single one, it was difficult. Complicated finale, wonderful. Once you understand it, it makes sense, but it takes a long time. Mm. And I don't know, Gretchen, if you've ever had to fill in for someone in another place. Well, so when I was first called, I was one of the run-ons. And uh -huh. I, I was very young. And some of the senior girls had said to me, they were like, you know, you're really lucky to be getting to do this. And I really <laughs> felt that because, I didn't do first movement. I sat and I watched it and I just tried to make sure that I knew all of those, you know, the quick, quick steps. And I did second movement and then I came on for the wheel for the yeah. third movement. And then I was thrown in and I actually got to dance the girls section in that third movement. And guess what? Had to learn a the whole new place, mm -hmm. a complete new place. And, yep. So the, it was always something. And in the early days, the ballet wasn't that familiar to everybody. And it was all seniors. Well, that was the thing about Jerry, too. I mean, to be frank, he didn't always use people in the company. And, and Jerry had his little core group in all this, in core soloists and principles that he used and he kept going back to them. And Mr. B would always be like, okay, Jerry, kind of like picking picking teams for a, a game. Mr. B would like, okay, you go first, you pick who you want, I'll take the leftovers and I'll still make a genius ballet. So go for it, pick your people. That's and, right. and that, correct me if I'm wrong, Barb, but right, wasn't that sort of? It was. Yeah. But you know, I will say, now that I'm really thinking about it, I think it was more difficult switching from an A to a B or a B to an A in the second movement yeah. than having to learn a whole different finale. Gretchen, when I, when I go out to teach this ballet to companies, 
I have a whole separate set of the girls that are middle-sized that are Bs, the girls that are middle-sized that are As, knowing their stuff so that they can go into the short line or the tall line and not be too obviously out of place. Could you describe to us this kind of machine that goes across the back in the second movement for the listeners? What do y'all mean when you're talking about A and B, just so the listeners can visualize the complexity of the pattern? The girls in the back, they come on very, very slowly. And because of Mr. Glass's minimalism, the counts repeat and then they stop. And it's, it's very relentless. And that, that phrase lasts maybe a minute, I don't know. And then he repeats the phrase with a, a different harmonic uh, addition, not really harmonic, but a, a, a slightly different uh, melody coming in. And then over the top of all of this are the solo uh, instruments. That was basically mm -hmm. what Marie and I portrayed. In the back, the girls were this underlying pulse. And as it changed, as Philip Glass changed it, the girls' movements slightly changed. each of the sections after what the movement reminded us of. And one of them is called Serenade because this is the biggest movement with the arm above the eye level, kind of going back and forth. And then they go back into the freeze position and they become parallel. The elbow is, is on the hip and the girls slowly lift their hand up to be horizontal to the floor. And in silhouette, it looks very strange and beautiful. And then it, the next the next repeat, instead of go, coming up only up with the elbow, it goes up to the shoulder. Then the next repeat, the shoulder waves and they go back and forth instead of twice to the right. Now, the, the girls are slowly progressing across the stage. They're, they're pushing the light. The stage is dark. And as the girls come on, the light opens up. They're bringing the light into the stage. Then the principles are presented and they go past the light and the girls continue. And uh, the whole movement unfolds and uh, it gets more vigorous and then it quiets down again. And then the girls leave and the light diminishes. And I used to say to the girls, it's as if you're going on to another stage, right? And we're gonna do this whole thing again in another theater on another world. Uh, quite quite interesting. And then we fly into that because the girls would leave and we would follow them. Very interesting and beautiful. What's interesting to think that in both the first and the second movements, there's some group design that's established and then soloists fly into and land or pass through it. And um, that's really quite beautiful. And Helene, I want to be sure that we that we that I ask you about the description of those soloists when they do land in the first movement. And then I want to jump back to the second movement. Like what Bart said earlier in a way, it, it's, it, Jay would be descriptive, but it, but he wanted you to find who you were, who your character was. He, you know, he'd say, depending on whatever the ballet was, he, he, he rarely said, now here you are this and you are feeling that and da, da, da. You, he would make you find it yourself, but 
Glass Pieces was one of the few places where he was very specific with me. And it's odd because I remembered it was in Studio 3 at the old SAB and it was in rehearsing this other material, well, I'm calling it the Kira and Sean material, but whatever it was. And it was in that studio and I was with Peter Freeman and he, Jerry walked over to me and he said, I want you to be like a steel angel from outer space. It couldn't have been more specific. It was, I mean, more specific than he rarely is with things, you know? I mean, that was just, you know, I mean, in antique epigraphs, we knew we were these sculptures, we were these, you know, ancient um, women and, and he referenced the sculptures he had seen with the enamel eyes and other things like that. But this was so clear. And I've heard different people opine, but for the record, for, for forever and ever and ever, Steel Angel from Outer Space. And I that's what it. it is. I love it. It makes sense because you're coming in and there's this, you know, humdrum, normal, you know, people, people. And then out of nowhere come these, these beings who don't interact, barely interact with each other. You know, unlike most of his ballets where you do have a relationship, whatever it is. This one was, from my experience up to that date, very different where it was very not relational to those around you, to your partner really. And so the description for me made perfect sense. And that's always what I, all every night that I did it, that's what I was, steel angel from outer space. If I could, I would like to read a little bit more into it. And I'm not sure how much of it he might have said to me, but it's, it's there in the movement. When the six principles come out one at a time in the fourth entrance, they rally the randomness of the group and they form in the back and they present the idea of the, the waves. And then one by one, the public or the pedestrians join the waves in a version. And then the music explodes and chaos comes back and everybody goes a completely different direction. And uh, while the angels are hovering above, you know, when you're in fourth position, mm -hmm. uh, calming, calming. And then they leave and then everybody, you know, blacks out. So that's the end. Very interesting stuff and new, completely new to New York City Ballet. Uh, Watermill, uh, let's reference Watermill a little bit. That was Jerry's perhaps most experimental thing. And I think that some of the inspiration for the men in the third movement came from the, the running section in Watermill with where the boys have the baton. I don't know if the City Ballet does Watermill or if it's been revived for a bunch or if it's just living on film now. Yeah, it was revived for his celebration. What an incredible experience doing something like that was though on its City Ballet stage where you know, you're know you so used to the high vibration, right? And like even a ballet like Glass Pieces where it's high vibration, you're just constantly feeding off of the music and one another. 
And then to experience something like watermill in the same season where it's just be as quiet and <laughs> calm as possible. Gretchen, I just have to say that the premiere of Watermill, you would have loved. It was truly controversial. We had the cheering people going, bravo, genius. And then we had the, the ballet lovers going, boo, boo, walking out. Very interesting. So Glass Pieces is in a continuum of some ideas that maybe had gotten started in one, like maybe the more subtle movement, perhaps. Jerry loved experimental theater. He loved being a director. At one point, he wanted uh, he wanted me to narrate my dance magazine article and do a write a play about it or something. And he had me read it into a microphone. And he was going to hire Al Stoy all. And uh, of course, this didn't last very long. It was <laughs> ten minutes, relatively, you know. But he was always off doing something. And Silas, one of your questions was about him directing Acknotton. And uh, of course, I believe the idea that he decided he owed the City Ballet that he should be there. And of course, he did so much for the City Ballet. We wouldn't have been the same at all. Mr. Balanchine was so smart in getting him to be the co-director choreographer person because the contrast was so high. And they both were in such admiration of one another. I believe that they, they, they inspired one another to, to heights they couldn't have achieved without each other. Though Jerry always felt like the second fiddle. And um, in a way he, he was just because he was the junior. And the material is so different. It's it's hard to compare an apple and an orange. They both taste delicious and they're both nutritious and healthy and yet they are not the same animal at all. So Jerry was in the middle of that. That was a bunch of his problem was trying to live up to Mr. Balanchine, but it also brought the best out of him. And I think, I think Glass Pieces actually helped him arrive at the abstract without the storyline thing you know that he was so into with fancy free in the cage and those beautiful earlier ballets that we adore and i think they're his strongest stuff but the divic the divic had a complete storyline i mean that 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 was going to be his big thing and it just didn't work uh, you know with the new bernstein score and all of that and there was scenery it went out the tube and became abstract. That was his process of trying to be Balanchine. He didn't know whether he was a storyteller or an abstract inspirer. And I, I do believe that in Glass Pieces, they came together. And um, in, with a new type of movement, though he was inspired by the downtown movement, there, it's definitely ballet. Mm -hmm. The girls are definitely point shoes. The Nine Girls Dance is terrifically difficult. Uh, the pas de deux is very balletic, uh, involving all of the classical situation thrown way off. In her review of the ballet's opening night, Anna Kisselgoff commented on Jerry's fresh use of ballet vocabulary, along with elements of modern dance in glass pieces, with these words. What is new is Mr. Robbins' introduction of this kind of work, modular and repetitive in music and dance, to the world of classical ballet as opposed to modern dance. It's not the first time he has done so, and as usual, he has done so on an exceptionally high level that has its own originality. 
Indeed, one wondered how a classical choreographer would treat Mr. Glass's bold, broad phrases. Mr. Robbins has plunged right in, refusing to yield on any of ballet's trademarks, juxtaposing the ballet vocabulary against more minimal movement or movements obviously stemming from modern dance, such as Martha Graham's arm-swinging, slinking run. part one. The conversation about glass pieces continues in part two, which is available now.